Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. As I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the service, happy Epiphany, even though Epiphany was on Friday, January 6th actually, but um, how many of you are familiar with the celebration of Epiphany? A few of you, yeah, a good number of you, good. You know, Epiphany, it's also called Theophany, it means revelation of God. So in other words, this holiday is telling us something about God. Of course, we celebrate that this is God's manifestation of us, humanity, our flesh and our blood, but also creation through the birth of Jesus. God humbling himself and being a part of our world. This is God with us, the song we sang. This is what we're celebrating in this season. But it's not just God with us, those who are here in this room on a Sunday morning or those other folks gathered in Christian churches around our community, around the world. Those of us who are in the know, we might say, yeah, it's God with us. But honestly, what we're celebrating here is that God revealed himself, not just to the insiders, but to all the world in his coming. You see, Epiphany marks the day on which the three magi came and visited the baby Jesus and brought him gifts. They visited him in Bethlehem, signifying that the good news was not just for the Jews, it was for all humanity, all mankind. The Magi representing the Gentiles, the three Gentiles who came and acknowledged Christ as king. That's what we're celebrating, that the good news has come for all the world. During Epiphany, people celebrate these magi who came and that they were following a star. This is a uh, kind of an important part of our celebration, of course, a part of our candlelight services, all that kind of stuff. According to experts, they believe that these magi were astronomers who paid close attention to the stars and the planets. And when something unusual was happening, they would mark it or note it. Something unusual was happening. And it caused these magi not to just mark it and note it, but to begin a journey, to begin moving and seeking and chasing after this star. Of course, the star that shone over the manger and the birthplace of Jesus, we don't know for sure, but there is an event that looks a lot like the star of Bethlehem and takes place about the time of Jesus' birth. It's called the star of Bethlehem. And it's visible in the many weeks leading up to the birth of Jesus. And though it's rare, it does, it has happened recently. In 2020, the star of Bethlehem shone. It won't show again until 2080, so you got to wait. <laughs> but the star of Bethlehem is actually a planetary convergence between Jupiter and Saturn. And when you can see their moons on a good bright night, it kind of looks like a plus. It's really vague there, it's really faint there, and with the distance, you might not see it well. But you can see on the left, there's Jupiter with three of its moons and Saturn. And as they converge, it kind of creates this plus sign in the heavens. 
That was taken on December 21st, 2020, the last time the Star of Bethlehem converged, and that was in North Carolina. And all throughout the prevailing weeks, the convergence, these two planets in, these two, in the nighttime sky are drawing closer. On this next slide, you can kind of see how it begins to happen. The two planets are apart, and over time, over weeks, they get closer and closer and closer. And so the wise men were seeing these two planetary bodies drawing together and pointing over the same spot over the earth each night. And it caused them to begin asking questions. It caused them to be fascinated, to begin a, a pilgrimage to discover what might be seen from this sign. Could they have guessed that it would lead them to Emmanuel, God with us? Of course, the spirit began working in their hearts as they were leading and caused them to know that they were bringing gifts to a king. For century, the faithful who celebrate Epiphany, celebrate this journey of the Magi, have done so with one very specific practice by marking the doorways of their homes with a symbol of faith, asking that Christ bless all who live and enter into this home. This next picture you can see, um, sorry, Eleanor, I didn't ask you if I could show this picture, but here's Eleanor marking our door last year. <laughs> The traditional message that you mark the door is the year in, in two sets of digits, so 20, followed by CMB, and then the last two digits of the year, 23, or 22 in that case. This year it would be 2023. 20, and of course, CMB is commonly accepted as the first letter of the initials of these three magi. I don't know who figured this out. Maybe Rick does. Maybe Rick knows some of the background. But the, the Magi are known as Caspar. Did you know that? Caspar, uh, Malchor, and Balthazar. I don't know who knew those guys, but apparently those are the commonly represented names. And the pluses that you see represent crosses. Of course, Christ's victory over sin and death on the cross and resurrection. So for this year, the marking would be 2023. 20, with, so it'd be 20 CMB 23 with pluses in between. And you would mark that on your door frame or on the, uh, on the door itself. The message of, or the, the letters CMB also kind of represent three Latin words, which, mean, which say Christos mencionem benedictat. Sorry, Eleanor. Eleanor takes Latin. Uh, how would you say it? Christos mentionum benedicat. There we go, benedicat. Um, which means, may Christ bless this home. So, uh, the message is clear. It's a way of signifying and marking your home. What do you guys think of that? Have you, who has done this? Who's marked their doorframe or their doors? Who's going to do this? Uh, those of you who marked your door last year, perhaps, um, what was the experience like? Just think of it. You don't have to call it out. Uh, but just what was that experience like? Is this some kind of magic trick to compel God into granting all of our wildest dreams? It's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true. Uh, is this some way of tricking God into blessing us? No, I don't think it is. 
But I bet for those of you who marked your door last year or who do this each year, it changed something in you as you came and went from your home, as you had conversations with guests and neighbors asking, did somebody tag your door? Have you been graffitied? You got to explain the story. You know, practices like these, they don't change God as much as they change us. We find that he was right there all along when we begin looking for him differently, with more intention, with more focus. By shifting our mindset, we begin to see God in places that we didn't expect. And as we transition from Advent and from Christmas into this season that we call Epiphany or Epiphany Tide between Christmas and Lent, that's what we're gonna be focusing on is working hard to see God with us in ways that we might not otherwise expect. And like the Magi, to challenge ourselves to do so with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. I've been using those two words a lot the last few weeks. You might get tired of it. But the awe and wonder of God with us. May we chase after his move opening our hearts and our minds to the amazing and startling things that we might find. Today, this Sunday, is actually the Sunday where we celebrate Jesus' baptism. So we're kind of double dipping. We're celebrating two Christian holidays on one day here. So Jesus' baptism is celebrating on, on the Sunday after Epiphany, and that's what we'll be focusing on for the rest of the service. And over the next few weeks leading up to Lent, we're gonna be looking at the first half of Jesus's ministry. We kind of consider Jesus's ministry in two phases. There's the first phase of his revelation, his coming, his growing in his ministry, everything leading up to the transfiguration. That's kind of the first half of Jesus's ministry. And of course we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, the Sunday before Lent. And then the second half of the ministry is from the transfiguration on through the events leading up to the cross and the resurrection and the visitations that followed. As we do so, as we dive into these studies, especially today on Jesus' baptism, we do so asking God to stir in our hearts fresh and new, to give us new challenges, new ideas, new inspirations. And as we do each week, we'd like to begin with prayer. Let's pray. O oh God of wonder, as the ancient star rose and guided the Magi, illuminating the place where Jesus was, so now may the light of your Holy Spirit shine in our hearts and minds. As we read, as the word is read and proclaimed, guide us again to Christ and direct us in new paths of faithfulness. Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, we'll, we'll begin today in Matthew chapter three. It'll be on the screens, you're welcome to follow along. Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? 
But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Today we'll be pondering how this sentence encapsulates a lot of mystery and wonder if we really start to think about it. This, so much so that it's given a special date on the Christian calendar, especially on a Sunday. You know, there's only 52 celebrations that we can have on the Christian calendar, and this is, gets one of them. So there's something happening here that tells us about God. A little backstory probably helps. So John the Baptist was the last in a long line of storied biblical prophets proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, preparing the way for God's promised Savior. And John chose kind of a funny way to do this work. You see, he didn't go and preach in the temples. He didn't preach in the synagogues. He didn't even preach in the marketplace or in the crowded crossroads. He went to the desert to preach. Who was out there, I wonder? <laughs> or did people, people probably followed him. I don't know, but how did it start? Of course, we know John was baptizing, so he needed water. That's where the Jordan was. But who was out there? John must have had some sort of magnetism, some sort of crazy energy that drew people to him. Of course, the Bible describes John as wearing these camel hair robes and eating locusts, so crazy might be about right. But he was no lunatic. He was, he was no fool. You see, the area where John was preaching and baptizing in the Jordan was about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem. But the people still came. I mean, you might be fascinated enough to conveniently stop by and watch a crazy person, but 20 miles in that day, you know, even for somebody who's very capable, that's no joke. I mean, 20 miles is one full day's journey at least and then a day to hear the message, and then a day to journey back. I mean, people are taking time out of their lives to go hear this message that John is preaching. But you see, God was beginning something that was bigger than John. The people were hungry. Their hearts were aching for change. God was stirring something in their hearts. He was beginning a movement. And the message of John that he was preaching, it wasn't just this typical, light, feel-good, pat-on-the-back kind of message that we tend to really like. <laughs> John's message was repent, change. Your lives are sinful. We need to be focused on God. John was like 
It wasn't fire and brimstone, but that's kind of what we think of. You know, it was that style of preaching. John was calling for radical repentance from selfish, sinful ways and a radical repentance towards God's purposes and God's objectives in their lives. It was a dynamic choice to accept the message that John was preaching. And it was signified, of course, through this dramatic method of response. The first time in the Bible in which we see people being baptized in water, submerged and, and brought back out of the water again, water baptism. This is the first example that we have of people being baptized in water as a means of grace and a means of proclaiming the salvation that they're receiving from sin, but the salvation towards the purposes and will of God. So as I'm reading this story, the immediate question that starts coming to mind is why Jesus? Why did the Son of God, who was the Word from the beginning, Emmanuel, God with us in, him very, in his very flesh and nature, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Wasn't Jesus sinless? Wasn't Jesus already fully devoted to God's will? I mean, obviously the answer is yes. <laughs> so why did Jesus come to be baptized? Even John saw the problem in our passage and he points it out. He says, you know, Jesus came to be baptized, but John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? John tried to deter Jesus from being baptized, rather insisting that instead Jesus should baptize John. You know, earlier in prior to these events, as we see recorded in some of the other gospels, John had difficulty in those that he was baptizing. For instance, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and they said, we'd like to be baptized. And John refused them. He said, no, because he sensed in them sin. He sensed in them an unwilling heart to fully conform to God's purposes. But here, John's resistance, of course, is not for that reason. He, John was preaching a, ba a baptism of repentance from sin and selfish desires. And we know that John, being the cousin of Jesus, must have had some sort of understanding of who Jesus was, even though they kind of seem to be meeting as strangers in this story. You know, it's inevitable that John, growing up, was told by his mother Elizabeth the story of when Mary came and visited and kind of the miraculous things that happened in there. John certainly knew who Jesus was. You know, they were cousins. Jesus' birth also must have been legend, you know, the marvelous nature in which he was born. But also, even as a child, the demonstration that Jesus had of knowledge of scripture and knowledge of God and his kingdom. Like cousins, John would have been aware of Jesus, even in his rise to prominence at the very least. Or they might have been acquainted. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. They might have been, they might have been tight. They might have done coffee every Wednesday morning or something. In which case, John certainly would have had an inclination of Jesus and his nature. 
John the Baptist was also humble enough to recognize Jesus and his sinless nature. He was conscious of his own sins, so he could detect none in Jesus, and so he said, you must baptize me. So John thought that Jesus should reverse the role, not that John would baptize him. But how does Jesus reply, of course, to the the rejection or the deterrence that John was giving. He says, it should be done, for we must carry out what God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. So what are we learning from this? What is, what's the aha that's happening? Jesus, God with us, servant to man and to God himself, sinless, nevertheless, would humble himself to be baptized. And I think primarily, is to tell us this, that I'm with you even in your sin, in your shortcomings. It's solidarity and union with mankind because that's what God with us is. Not God far away from us, not God distant and apart from us, not God against us, Not God uninterested in us, but God with us. God with us means that he is one with us in every way in the person of Jesus. He walks every road that we've ever walked. Suffering, pain, violence, disappointment, sorrow, even distance from his own father. Jesus was baptized to remind us that God loves us so deeply that he willingly enters into the mess of life and will walk with us, shoulder to shoulder, guiding us through. We also have to be aware of the nature of baptism and the symbol that John likely had in mind in choosing it as his method. Through water baptism, he's establishing the, the symbol of dying to our own selfishness, our own sinful, sinful ways, only to be reborn into allegiance with God and his ways. Going into the water is a symbol of entering into the earth and coming back out again is a symbol of resurrection, rebirth, new life. It signified a reorientation of one's life, wholly focused on the will of God, a death to sin and selfishness and a rebirth to freedom and selflessness. Jesus, sinless and yet baptized because he's God with us. And immediately after coming from the water, of course, something amazing began to happen. And this was not something John had planned. I think this was probably the first time it happened. But after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The Holy Spirit visibly descends and rests on Jesus, anointing him with power and proclaiming that from this point on, everything was gonna be different. 
And here again, the question, you know the question, why did Jesus need to receive anointing and power of the Holy Spirit? Wasn't he already God incarnate? Didn't he already have at his beck and call all of the power of heaven that was there? The, the simple answer again is God with us, sinless yet baptized in water, all powerful yet anointed from high with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this next slide, this image, this icon. This is a rendition of the Theophany icon. Again, I said earlier, Theophany means revelation of God. And it's another name given for this day on the Christian calendar, while also the name given to this icon for the baptism of Jesus. In other words, this is telling us, look at this picture and you'll know something about God. Jesus, nearly naked in a loincloth, this is not common in iconography, but in this case, it was needed because Jesus is a reference of Adam, the second Adam, a full revelation of what humanity's true intended purpose was. John in his hairy cloak performing the baptism, but astonished and looking at the spirit as it descends. The metaphor would be like, you know, a, a relay race where the Old Testament and its prophets, John, they're passing the baton on to Jesus, the New Testament, and all the saints who would follow. And of course, we see the spirit descending in the dove, and it's inside this almond shape. That shape has a name. It's called a mandoria in iconography. And that's usually the shape, the glowing shape that shows up behind the head of Jesus in icons. In this case, showing up behind the Holy Spirit, denoting the Trinity. And of course, we have the angels there on the side waiting to attend to Jesus. It looks like they even have like a, a towel <laughs> for him, uh, waiting to attend to Jesus as he re comes out of the water. And of course, we know that what happens after this in the story, he goes to the desert and he's attended by angels. So the angels are there. On that left-hand side, there's an ax near John's feet, which represents a warning to us all that our lives should bear fruit, specifically the fruit of the Spirit, for a tree that does not bear fruit is not living for its purpose. It's a reminder not to get comfortable or spiritually lazy. And of course, Jesus is not submerged in the water for creation was baptized through him, not vice versa. Those two hills on either side, there's versions of the Theophany icon that don't even have water. In other words, it looks much more like a burial in earth and resurrection. And then lastly, these little creatures, these are funny, these little guys riding those fish. Um, it's commonly understood that those represent the Jordan River and the sea. There's many psalms in which words like the sea fled at the coming of your name, the waters moved at your word. In other words, the sea and the river fleeing at something much bigger and much greater entering the water. So this week, as we look at this icon, as we learn what we can learn from God with us through water and spirit baptism, we also do so in the context of 
our scripture passage, and of course we're following today the lectionary, you see the idea that people had easy access to scripture, their own printed copy of the Bible, their own Bible on their cell phone, these things are so new. I mean, third world problems, right? Or first world problems. Uh, <laughs> at the very least, as new as the printing press in the 15th century, and then however many years it took for the scripture to proliferate into common usage after that. So for most of human history, scripture was shared orally. And our church fathers and mothers wisely determined a way to organize the hearing of scripture in such a way that the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, they all worked in harmony. So today, in pairing with Matthew 3, the Old Testament scripture in the lectionary is Isaiah 42. Let's read this passage and see what we can learn. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. That sounds very familiar. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. What do you think? Are you seeing some connections? Isaiah 42 becomes a foreshadow, an echo of the voice that we hear in the gospel accounts of God resting upon Jesus after his baptism. As a matter of fact, it becomes a foreshadowing of what you and I should expect after our salvation and baptism and after the spirit enters into us. Two examples of the voice of God making proclamations about Jesus, anointing him for doing the kingdom work. And notice the characteristics here of what is happening when the spirit comes upon a person, when the spirit comes upon specifically Jesus. They will pr pursue and enact justice among the nations. They will be the ones who identify where people, systems, and creation are being oppressed or abused and will make work to make things right, will endeavor to make things right. And how are they gonna do it? By knocking everything over and crashing it, starting over? They'll do so without raising their voice. The Spirit's power and anointing on them will do most of the work they will simply respond obediently and will do so in humility. They will not resort to violence. Not a single grass blade will be bent or candle flickered. They will operate in gentleness and love. They will have courage even in the face of great challenges and again through the Spirit's blessing and power. And they'll not give up until the job is finished. And when things are left undone, just through the natural passage of time, they're going to pass the baton on to others, the way Jesus passed it on to us, to continue the work of the kingdom throughout the earth. 
In Matthew, the voice of God proclaims and announces and anoints Jesus. And through the wisdom of the church fathers and mothers, that same proclamation is paired with this proclamation in Isaiah and these characteristics about the way of living in harmony and, and unity with the Spirit. So therefore, by taking on the mantle of Christ as Christians, baptized through water and power, we take on that same anointing, that same example of Christ in his way, enacting justice, humility, gentleness, courage, and perseverance. The epistle for this week, according to the lectionary, is Acts chapter 10. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, and there is there, that there shall be peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so our scripture writers and our lectionary planners should be, are, so it seems that they're implying, so should be true with us. That through taking on the mantle as Christians baptized through water and power, that we might take on the anointing and the example of Christ by enacting justice, humility, gentleness, courage, and perseverance. So in closing, two invitations. First, if you've not been water baptized and the Lord is stirring in your heart that this is a step of faith that you'd like to take, please let us know. You or your family members, parents, Pastor Grace has great resources and great suggestions on how to talk to your children about baptism. On the back of your worship folder, as a matter of fact, if you are interested in baptism and this is something you're thinking about, even if you just say, hey, I have no idea, I'd like to hear about it though. Yeah, you can check this and fill in a little information and drop this in the giving boxes in the foyer if you're interested in baptism. We have a baptismal here. You don't see it, but we can easily set up and do a baptism on any Sunday. That would be a blessing. Second, if you have questions regarding spirit baptism or sanctification, Likewise, I'd love to have those conversations with you. You know, today was a full day. We're already kind of double dipping with Epiphany and the baptism. To preach on sanctification or baptism of the Holy Spirit, that deserves at least a Sunday of its own. But in simple terms, God anoints and empowers freely all those who would humbly ask, placing their lives wholly into his service and priorities, willing to take on the mantle that we've just heard about. That's it. 
You know, as we gather around the table each week, receiving the bread and the cup, this symbolizes the infilling of God in our lives. Of course, we're taking on elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus, but by receiving Jesus into us, it's also a symbol of receiving the Holy Spirit into our lives. And I know we don't talk about it often, but we do have altars here on this side of the sanctuary. During our communion time, if you'd like to spend time at those altars in a new way of kneeling and a new posture of cementing a work that God's doing in your life, those altars are there. After you receive your elements, you're welcome to stop by those altars and spend time in prayer. Oftentimes for me, it's been important when I recognize God doing something new in my life to respond in a physical way. Those altars are there for you. And as a resource, on the back of our sermon notes today, there's a prayer. I mean, obviously we can pray in any way that God leads us or inspires us, but here's a prayer that puts into simple terms the opening of our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we gather around the table, as we prepare to gather around the table, I'd invite us to join in prayer, let me lead us. And I'm gonna pray this prayer for the Holy Spirit's anointing that's on the back of our sermon notes. Father, as your children in Jesus, we desire to be totally instruments for your kingdom to manifest you through our lives. We desire to receive your promise of the Holy Spirit for, the, for us who believe Jesus, our King and Savior, baptize us in the Holy Spirit so that the spirit of your resurrection will work in us and transform us according to your will. Holy Spirit, empower us and fill us to overflowing. We hold nothing back from you. Work your gifts in us, through us. Take all of us so that the Father's kingdom may be manifest in us and through our lives, that we may enact your justice, humility, gentleness, courage, and perseverance. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.